Second Samuel 21 and verse 15. I'll just read three verses in your hearing. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines and David waxed faint. And Ishbib Nob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishiah, the son of Zeriah, secured him. That word means it doesn't mean what you initially thought. It's not a shish kebab type thing. It's uh, rescue. It means rescued. <laughs> uh, we don't use the term, you know, uh, secure uh, very often. Rescue. He rescued David and he killed the Philistine. Then the men of David swear to him. They would make an oath to David. Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle. That thou quench not the light of Israel. Because they viewed David as the light of Israel. In another passage, the word would, would say, Lest the light of Israel go out and I preach today not so among you not so among you amen everyone said amen turn your neighbor and tell them that they are the most beautiful person you've ever seen so far today you're just a beautiful person thank you for being handsome If it applies, amen. Time seems to slip away from us so very quickly. Memories are difficult to keep. A photograph, some song, or tangible item can bring it back. My nostalgic side is a deep well. Maybe David thought something similar. Maybe he believed himself to be stronger than he was. It's a hard turn in reality from vibrancy to frailty. Many live in denial. David had long since fought 
the enemy and, in fact, defeated his giant. The valley of Elah, where that took place, and its ranging tundra was but a faint memory. The Bible will not offer every instance of war only to repeat his youthful ambitions in song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. The victories will mount up like towers, casting shadows against every would-be successor. No one fought like David. He was a legend in his own time. His name alone took the heart out of his opponents. But those days were drawing to a close. The scars, bruises, mental and physical fatigue. His strength was not what it used to be. Yes, he was a man of war with a heart for God, but his hands were not as steady, his gait not as sure. God once said, the blood on your hands, David, prohibits you from handling the construction of the temple. I'll use your son. God could not look away. David killed so many. Of course, those battles ensured the safety of the nation and brought freedom from Israel's would-be oppressors. His military prowess was unmatched in the annals of history. He used rocks, stones, leather, metal, all manner of tools. He once feigned his own madness to save his life. He knew how to take the will to fight out of the heart of the enemy and to confuse all those around him if he needed to. But there came a time when the window of his strength closed, and there it is. The harsh and unbiased measure of time, the only commodity that can never be redone. Time. What you do in your time matters. It matters more than you will ever know. That is why Solomon wrote, young men, young ladies here, remember your creator in the days of your youth. He said, there is coming a day, and I quote, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, it means there'll come a day when your muscles don't work. Your back is bent. The cartilage in your knees wears out. Be bone on bone. Your teeth, grinders, the Bible calls them, fall out. The windows, your eyes, can't see the small print. And you'll be on Amazon ordering the next set up of glasses 175 tragedy <laughs> you'll put those glasses on and you'll hope someone says to you they make you look younger you know they're lying, but you won't correct them. What you do in your time and with your time matters. 
Time cannot be redone. Don't squander the best moments of your life chasing sin or empty promises or meaningless ambition. There are a thousand storehouses filled with regrets. Remember your creator. David did what he was called to do in his time. But there came a moment when he could not serve the people in the same way that he once did. It was a matter of strength. And that was the moment when those among him had to rise to the occasion. You see, giants are few, as I have so preached in the past. But those that did exist were too much for this aging warrior king. He was not meant to fight all those that opposed him. Let me say that again. He was not meant to fight all those that opposed him. This is God's design for the work of the body. Think of it. We are not designed to defeat all that comes against us. God has equipped the church body to rescue us. The field of his father where David served was a distant memory. The stories lived on, yes, but his hands did not hold the strength to defeat another lion or another bear. The battlefields spoke of his grandeur, but the days are now closed, and those among him had to step forward. If the nation was to survive, if the people were to be protected, it would be done by those among David. What was among them was courage and power and keen understanding. They were skilled and they were brave. And perhaps most notably, they recognized that David was in the wrong place. The scripture itself that I read to indicates that they might have seen him in the wrong place and may even have allowed him too much room. This is the obvious gasp from his own men. David had to be secured, rescued. We've never read that before in the scripture concerning David. They said among themselves, we cannot afford to lose you, David. Those men came to the realization that there was too much to lose and nothing to gain by allowing David to enter those battlefields again. And what was it that David faced? What was it that almost took him down? It was a giant with a new sword. David had done his part, but this giant carried something new. You can call it unused if you want or not broke in. But there is an underlying message in the word. David was not equipped to deal with the new sword. Perhaps this enemy had new methods that David had never seen. He was not equipped to fight against this new sword. But one of those mighty men among them stepped forward and defeated that new enemy with the new sword. Think of it. If this giant was be, to be defeated, it would come from within. Victory was among them, not in him. They were men of valor. In fact, the Bible says mighty men of valor. Three of them were not even included in the original number of mighty men. But their exclusion in the number did not bother them. They didn't have to be in the original to be effective. <laughs> among them was an enactment of selflessness. It was a theater of unity. A playwright of synthesis. No one vying for distinction or recognition. No one in self-promotion. It was not so among them. 
Those men stood in the gap for their leader who was weary and battle-worn. They recognized their time had come. They were aware of his time and what they were elected to do. They saw it. They saw him and they respectfully positioned David in his place. They said, no longer are you going to lead us into battle. We're ready. You're the light. We're the warriors. We will pick up the stones, the slings, the spear and swords and we will fight. And the historical account among the Jewish rabbis was told that they indeed encircled David. Those men held hands, but they didn't face him. They had their back to him. David was in the middle and they encircled him and they, and, and they held hands and they proclaimed, lest the light of Israel go out. And they, they swore an oath. They committed themselves to the field of war wisdom and the will to fight was among them what is among you matters one of those mighty men killed the next generation of giants also that giant's name was Saf. he was the son of a giant his name refers to a large door or standing in the way of a door. It means that there was a giant who stood in the way of progress and impeded vision and the future. I'll call it a spirit of tradition. There's a difference between custom and tradition. Jesus said and rebuked the Pharisees when he said in Mark seven thirteen, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition and many such like things do ye. Not doctrine. Not holiness, not Bible, but elevating tradition as if it were Bible. It's a love for method, but rejecting the vision. And that giant had to fall. And David couldn't kill it, and he didn't. Another one of those mighty men fought and killed the brother of Goliath. It was the death of, watch it, of taking up an offense. I wish that giant would die every day, but it's still alive somewhere. It's the brother of Goliath who is bitter because of the defeat of his brother. But one of those mighty men of David took down the spirit of taking up an offense and killed it. Another giant had six fingers on each hand, six toes. I'll call it the spirit of greed, self-ambition, coveting, chasing things and material things. But among them, a mighty man of valor, valor killed him, that ever-binding spirit of material lust and want. And among all of those men, they killed four giants in all. David, you were the light. You're the light among us. We've got this covered. Your victory is in our hands. You killed Goliath, but we will kill the rest. Remember, he's in process. David's a young man. He's in process. He runs. He stoops down. He picks up five smooth stones. Then he runs and faces Goliath. He says to him, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he, he planted one of those stones into that leather pouch, and it landed in the forehead of that mighty giant, and he fell. He fell prostrate on the ground, and David ran to him and drew his sword out and took that mighty sword and severed the head of Goliath. I'll be a little descriptive for all of you who like this stuff. And he lifted up that head and sinews and flesh dripping from that severed head and a tongue wagging out and the eyes agape. I got more stuff. Uh-huh. And he held it up for the Philistines and when they saw that big massive severed head, they ran for cover and God gave victory. But David picked up five stones. 
Now, the pragmatic side of me says that he picked up five stones because that's probably all the room he had in his pouch. Or maybe he thought, if the first stone doesn't take Goliath down, I got four more ready to go. And I reject the old idea that those five stones stand for each letter of the name of Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. That's not... Of course, that name wasn't even around during that time, and it wouldn't have been spelled in the Hebrew way. J-E-S-U-S. No. No, if you're looking for a type, then look no further than the number of giants that would seek David's life. Five of them. It was not just Goliath, but there were four more. Five stones for five giants. Five sought his life, but David was only commissioned to take down one. Get this now. The victory had to come from among them. That's the operation of this body. And when the body gets in order, when the house is in order, hey, you've never seen victory and like, like the victory that's coming when the house is in order. And when all the house gets in order, there's a sweet smell of unity and power and anointing and Holy Ghost. Hey, I should have welcomed you already, Clinton. I'm so glad to see you and Ashley and, and your many daughters. Welcome. It's just things we've got to deal with. We've got to deal with a reckless world and an aimless society, and chaotic scenes and 24-hour news cable channels and people are filtrating their minds with junk and all kinds of nonsense and it's separating everybody. Get back to the kingdom and the word and the gospel and know that Jesus is Lord of all and there's a gospel and there's a doctrine and there's a holy way. What was it that was among them, those mighty men of valor and the others who fought with them? What did they have that set them apart for all of biblical history? I will tell you a few things that I can understand here. They had perception and they had humility and they had understanding and had the will to fight. They understood their role. They perceived the moment and the calling of God upon their lives. They understood the season of their leader and the duty of their own day. They advanced against the enemy and they walked Oh, watch this. Humbly before one another. Oh, the power of humility among the people of God. The devil does not know what to do with humility. Because that entire concept is outside of his domain. He cannot grasp humility among the free moral agent. You choose it. You have to put on the spirit of humility. It's not a common cold. You don't just catch it. It's not an ache. You're not born with it. Humility is not in your DNA. It's not in your structure. But if you're going to be humble, you've got to put on the garment of humility. And the devil doesn't know with, with what he's going to do when the church becomes humble before one another. There's a power that resides in that. We don't care who gets the glory. I don't care who gets the solo. I don't care who's leading. I don't care who gets the recognition because I'm part of the body. I could be in the mighty men or I could be on the outside. That's not going to make me be ineffective. I'm still going to fight. They had recognition of, of their leader who was among them. And they had honor for one another. 
The difference in the nation was not hinged on David's strength or ingenuity. It rested among them, among them. You won't remember their names. You won't tell of their victories. Part of me, of course, thinks this is a good thing, but they were men who defended the smallest parcels of land even. One of them stood on a half acre of land filled with beans. He risked his life defending lentil beans because he thought even the beans matter. He was unwilling to give the enemy even the most insignificant of items. Among them were people who would not back down and not give in and not back up. They would sacrifice their own life rather than allow the enemies of Israel access to any of the people of Israel. Among them were men who took down entire squadrons of Philistines and Amalekites, men who did not mind fighting alone. Hands melded with swords so that you didn't even know the difference between the handle of the sword and the man's hand. Eyes filled with passion, hearts of courage, confronted by impossible odds. They did not complain if they had to stand alone. If they were named in the top or the bottom, it made no difference. Among them were men who risked their lives. Think of this. Three of them risked their lives for a cup of water, for a flask of water. David's whimsical thought to drink from a specific well located by the outer wall of Jerusalem. When he said, oh, that I might drink from the well. It became their death-defying mission. And when they brought it back to him and handed it to him, they were not bitter when he poured it out on the ground. Forbid that I shouldn't drink this. You mean I've done all that? I prepared all that? And now they're not even going to use it and they threw it in the trash? Oh. <sighs> what is among them? Sometimes they were organized by bands of two or three. Sometimes the whole lot of them marched. The only constant thing was that the enemy was always greater in number, but they were greater in faith. It was their defining trait, what was among them. What is among you is the key. Look around. Look around at this congregation. Find out. Because that is the difference between victory and defeat. Faith, courage, perception, love, humility, and serving. There is a light. John called Jesus the light of the world. But that light has commissioned us to be the body. God is setting us up, and I feel it in the Holy Ghost today, and I want to tell somebody in here, you are not alone. You're not going to fight all your battles. The enemy of your life is going to be defeated by the people that surround you right here. I need to tell somebody, take courage. Because the giants are coming down. And you won't even enter the battlefield. <laughs> I need to tell somebody today what you've been seeking for and trying to find a way or a path or an answer. Somebody else around you. The operation of the body of Christ is about to get in order. And when we get in order, there's going to be great victories. There's going to be power. And you might have a reservoir, but that, you're not going to need that. Hey. <laughs> Oh, I feel right now. I feel it right now. Don't tell me you don't have the strength. It's not dependent upon your strength. It's dependent upon the blessing and the wonder of the Most High God. I'm not trying to garnish 
Please, please help me. Hope, I hope you feel my heart. I'm not trying to garnish any goodwill with self-deprecation. No. I made a lot of mistakes. I wish I could undo a thousand things. I wish I could go back and unsay a lot of things. I wish I could unfeel a lot of things. I wish I could change a lot of decisions, but I can't go. All I can say is, I'm just going to commit my life to God, and I'm going to hide myself in the body. And there's a lot of things I cannot defeat that are facing me, but you can. You've got the power. You've got the authority. You've got the will. And if I can get myself in order and we can get the church in order... Ah. Jesus is teaching his men in the course of this limited time, those fleeting three years of earthly teaching, he made this point over and over again. But Matthew records the clearest of terms. Jesus said to his men, there's a hierarchy in the world. People rule over other people. Officials dictate. Authoritarians command. Aristocrats control. Jesus said, that's how they do it. Here's verse 26 of Matthew 20. But it shall not be so among you. That's not, that's not here. That's there. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Now that word minister has several Greek variations. But it really comes from the Greek word diakonos. It means someone who runs errands. Or an attendant, a waiter at a table maybe, doing other menial duties. It can mean teacher or pastor, but the oldest retention of the word is to serve. That's how they do it. But among you, you serve. You don't just serve people over there. You serve one another. Jesus said, I know how you've seen it done. And I know what what you think this discipleship organization paradigm should look like you know that the princes of the of the gentiles exercise dominion over them but but we are not going to follow that pattern jesus said this is a different dominion this is a kingdom of god dominion it's a kingdom dominion and the question is what is among you among you determines destinies Among you is the birthing ground for acceptance or denial. Among you is the ability to destroy every demonic spirit or be overtaken with the same. If servanthood is among us, then the kingdom will come among us. Because the kingdom can only be present when there is a servanthood among you. Oh, I'm preaching today. You may not be shouting, but I'm shouting. It's the inside shouting, man. (laughs) But if envy and jealousy and gossip, worldliness, if disrespect among people is among you, giants will swallow us up and the light will go out or move on. If you're into dishonoring or disrespecting other people here, you're probably in the wrong church. That's not how we do it here. We honor one another. It shall not be so among you. I just want to say that, say that over and over again. That's not how we do it. 
<laughs> if you're into getting instead of giving, complaining instead of thanking, that's not what we're about. If you're into self and not serving, you're, you definitely need to find a country club. It might even be cheaper. Because that's not how we do it here. It shall not be so among you. If you're into divisions of any kind, that's not how we do it here. There's one body, one Lord, one heaven, one Holy Ghost, one God and Father above all, and through all and in you all, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Hey, if you don't mind a little lying, a little deception, a little clappy clap on Sunday, but you like to type and text out all your disgruntled dispositions on Monday, ignorant things that just fracture the church, just take it from me. That's not how we do it here. We don't do that. You can't control yourself on Facebook, Instagram, all the other grams. Close them down. That's how the world does it. And if you think that we love people based on money, talent, or name, just know this. I would rather have a poverty-stricken, tone-deaf worship team that have never even heard of the word harmony but has a sweet spirit <laughs> than a carnal group of Juilliard graduates. <laughs> Come on, I know you're with me. Give me Holy Ghost anointed people first and we'll give you voice lessons later. Give me people with kindness and we'll teach you the details of the program later. Give me an abundance of grace and mercy and forgiveness and we'll have to build a 10,000 seat auditorium because that's what the world wants to have. They want to have a house in order. It's not so among you. Hey. Give us people who will serve one another. And giants will fall and the light will keep on shining. Uh, what, what is among you? What is among you has the power to divide or unite? Uh, see, our problem is, this is the, the, here's the problem with spirit-led churches and self-proclaimed spirit-filled churches. We think that it's all contingent on the Holy Spirit. That it is, that, that, that it's up to him. If the Lord will just come in, he'll fix it all. What are you talking about? If that is our sole determining factor, then we might also blame him for not producing what we've been promised. But I will stand here and say, God has never been the problem. It's one of what is among us that inhibits our lives. His promises, all his promises are yea and amen. They're settled. They ain't going away except what we do with them. His hand is a sure hand of promise. His strength has never lacked. His arm has never been short. He reaches beyond our limitations. But what is among us is the doorway for him to be who he already is. When we... Mm, 
I feel like I'm putting the clothes away. I got to get to that fragrance, that nice candle. When we coddle people who make trouble in the kingdom, we are inserting infection in the body. When we pacify people who revile the Lord and speak against the other people in the house and accuse our faith, we destroy the integrity of the church. Hey, your children know what's going on. They may not be able to articulate what they feel, but they can feel it. And the devil also knows if we are servants of one another or if we are not. The enemy would rejoice if you would just open your door to confusion in your home. He would love for you to do that. What is among you? Do not blame the Lord or the church or the environment. If you feel disenfranchised or if you feel like you do not fit in, the best way to fit in is to serve. Serving is the, is the door, open door to the feeling. The best way to get connected here is to serve your way in. What should be among us are servants serving one another. See, I've never seen anyone who constantly serves ever feel left out. They're always kept in. Oh, it shall not be so among you, but the leader is the servant. That's what Jesus said. Those mighty men of valor had something among them that we must not pass by. Do not let this be a momentary whisper of yet another Sunday morning sermon. They had perception and understanding and humility and honor and unity and respect. They worked together. They worked in groups. They fought alone. They were defeating giants of tradition. They killed a giant of greed and selfishness. They confronted every new weapon formed, always aware, and they would not let an offense take root among them. They killed all of that. What was among them is the dream of every church body, every pastor, every hungered congregation for revival. That's the dream. Because if you don't get this right serving, you've got no church and you're destined to die. They literally serve one another without pretense or posture. And I believe that we can serve ourselves into a mighty revival. Because genuine care for one another produces the cause of Jesus Christ. I never read where any of those mighty men said, it's not my job. They just picked up sword and spear and went to work. And I asked today, what is among us? If you've not been invited to the party, serving is the permanent way to be invited to the party. If you're the one always bring, bring in the salad and the dessert, I can tell you right now, there's always room at my table <laughs> Are you ready? You cannot complain your way into fellowship. But you can compliment your way into relationship. Oh. Is this hard? I, I already smell that wonderful fragrance just rising. <sighs> Floor looking really good right now. You see, the greatest recognition the world will ever know that we are his church is how we treat one another, not how we treat the world. What? Even Jesus said, if, if you love those that love you, what difference, what, what, how, how does that make you difference for them, different from them? They, everybody loves people that love them. Everybody likes someone who gives them stuff. Everyone wants a card. 
Man, I really like that person. Why? Because they give me a card every week because they, they say I'm great. Well, that's no big deal. Try loving people who don't give you a card. Who kind of sneer at you, grunt. Mm. You know what? I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm sorry. That's another thing. We're tra- that's a marriage counseling thing. We ain't got time for that this morning. Uh-huh. It shall not be so among you. You serve. Are you, are you ready? Kindness is not a specialized ministry. What? I don't care. Mm. Please know, I feel like when the Holy Ghost comes, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. This is in the Bible. But the evidence of the Holy Ghost, after you get done with all of that, is not continuing to speak in other tongues. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And how I know that you have the Holy Ghost is if you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're ugly, now this is a southern term. I didn't know this term until I married Tammy. In the south, the Texans and the Louisians, they say, don't be ugly. And that doesn't really mean uh, what some of you think it means. It means your attitude. I ain't ugly. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You can be beautiful and ugly at the same time. Pretty face, horrible, ugly disposition. In fact, the more, the more ugly your disposition, the ugly your whole body looks. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me now. I'm feeling closed in a little bit right here. I, 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 I don't care how you look on the outside. I want your spirit to emanate beauty and love and kindness and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and mercy and temperance. There's no law set against that. You cannot defy that. If the body of Jesus Christ will get it in order, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Among us, a lot of grace, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of love, a lot of kindness. I preach today that what is among you determines our heart for the lost and for the guest and for the family that's just looking for a place to worship. The sermon may not be good, the lesson may not be a home run, the music may not be their style, but if you love one another, ladies and gentlemen, you'll kill those giants of self, apathy, bitterness, anger, dishonor, walking with an attitude of joy and acceptance, it is a mighty thing, and the light was going to stay on, and Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men, you want to know the greatest revival program that's ever been invented in the world, it's when Jesus takes prominence, and the church becomes the mighty warriors, and the light stays on in the house. And the light will do what only the light can do. And we will have a sword and a shield and love. And we'll kill every matter of bitterness and anger and frustration. Do you know how much power is among us? The name is among us. Use the name. Speak. Fight. Pray in groups of two or three. Join together. Take dominion over whatever situation confronts you. And if you know you don't have the power and the strength, just look around next to you and don't judge them by the way they look. That person next to you has the authority and they can take down the giant that's troubling your life. Maybe you don't know this, but I just need to say it. There are some young people in this house that you need for them to lay hands on you. Because they got faith to move mountains and they're not afraid like you're afraid. 
You, you just got mature, whatever that means. There's a difference between getting older and getting mature, getting wiser, and, and, and just growing old. Brother Mooney told me years ago, many, many years ago, he said, Jeffrey, let me just tell you, I've met people that were wise when they were 20 and wise when they were 50. He said, and I've met some men that were dumb and ignorant when they were 20 and they're 50, 60 years old, they're still dumb and ignorant. That's what he said. Told me, that's what, that's what, listen, here, here's what it is. And I, and I will just tell you right now, don't hide behind your maturity. You need someone to lay hands on you. Don't hide behind your tenure. You have been serving the Lord for many, many years. What you need is a new believer to come over and say, I believe that God's going to heal your body. And you can say to them, you don't even know the books of the Bible. It don't matter if they pray in Jesus' name and they got the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them. They can help deliver you and kill that thing that's been bothering you for a long time. This is the operation of the body of Jesus Christ. I'm almost done. And I'm almost there. Someone among them told the king that James was one of the apostles and the Jews that did not believe captured James and someone got bold that day and drew a sword and thrust it through James and killed him in the street. And they rejoiced over the death and murder, the martyrdom of one of the disciples. And because Herod realized that it pleased them, he captured Peter and said, hey, this is going good. Let's get Peter and we'll kill him tomorrow. So they captured Peter and they put him in prison, but not just prison because they had been hearing about all these things. So they put him in prison and then they put him connected with chains and stocks and bonds to two soldiers, one on either side, and then put him in the inner prison. You just stay there till daylight. <laughs> Here's your Bible. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. And if you just stop there, it's disheartening. To hear that somebody in the church is bound, that is disheartening. How can this be? But instead of growing angry, and that's what a lot of people do, instead of doing what they're designed to do, they just say, I just don't understand. I just can't believe it. You know, we were serving God. He's a great, pre- he preached our first sermon. He, he's been doing all kinds of wonderful things. I can't believe that God allowed Peter to be put in prison. There's a lot of other people that should be put in prison, but Peter. Well, that, that could be true too. I don't know. Why Peter? Why did it happen to him? That's not what they did. They did not walk around depressed and angry. They didn't blame God, shake their fist. Here's the next line of Acts 12, 5. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church and to God for him. What was among them was prayer. And they said, we're going to have us a prayer meeting we got to find a place. And since they didn't have a church building, they had a house. They didn't hold everybody, but they had enough people in the house. John Mark's mother said, come on in. 
We're going to have prayer. We're going to pray here until God does something. And late at night, they were still praying. In fact, it was past midnight. And while they were praying, the Lord heard the prayer. And he sent an angel of God to that prison. And the shackles fell off and lifted Peter up and leading him out of the gates of the prison. Even Peter thought it was a dream. In fact, when he got outside the prison and the angels were gone, he just looked around and had to shake himself wondering what was going on. And then he thought to himself, this is the church. I wonder where I should go. Now, why did he choose the house of John Mark's mother? Why did he? Because he must have known. If I'm in prison, I know what the church is doing right now. There's a giant I cannot kill, but I cannot, can't slay him. But I know what the church is going to be doing, and I think I know where they're going to be meeting. They're going to go to a prayer meeting. And I'll tell you what, Peter could not get out by himself, but prayer was made continually of the church in a house for him. And he was set free. Why? Because something was among them. And this is what's going to happen this week. Every night this week, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be prayer meetings in the prayer room, in this room, and in the atrium, wherever you choose to go. You can walk the circumference of this campus, this building, or inside every night. There's going to be prayer. And we're going to pray that God would loose people and set them free. And we're going to kill every giant. Maybe it's in our own life, but in someone else. And we're going to take dominion over everybody. And we're going to exercise grace and kindness. And unity. And selflessness. And we're going to serve. And we're going to serve with our hands and our time. With our spirits and with our heart. And we're going to exhibit the love of God. And when we do that. All the clothes, all the dusting, all the fragrance. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I like when people come to our house for the grass to be cut and the dishes to be washed. That's why we don't let anyone come over. No, that's not true. Every other month. Because I, I want them to feel welcomed. I've been in a lot of places where I had to step through, make a path. The Lord's not going to do that here. He's a God of order. He wants everything to be done decently and in order. And when we put things in order, then he can start to move freely about the place. He wants to move freely about the place. And I preach this many times. We're the only creature of his creation that can resist him. We can handle him and push him away. And I say today, let's get ready for a mighty miracle move of the Holy Spirit. And let's do it right here, right now. Let there be something among us that separates us from the hierarchy of this world not so among you no not so among you I'll end with the scripture that was implanted in my mind when we were young Scotty it was one of those scriptures we had to memorize 
Mom made us memorize the scripture. Grievous words stir up anger. But a soft answer turneth away wrath. Every time we got into a big fight, we had to memorize scripture. We know almost the entire Bible. Grievous words stir up anger. But a soft answer, it just dissolves everything. Oh, let it be among us. Let it be among us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, so that you can use us, so that your light can shine. I pray right now for the whole body, not just this house, but everyone that's outside of this house, all of the online church, all the people that are watching today. I pray, Lord. You be the light of glory. You be the light, Lord, I pray. You are the true light that lighteth everyone that cometh into the world, I pray. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, let there be unity among the body. Let there be servanthood among the body. Let people begin to serve, just willingly serve, whatever it is, wherever they're at, Lord. Help me to be a servant, Lord. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, let the spirit of humility rise, Lord, because the devil can't deal with that, Lord, and we need to defeat him, Lord, and I pray that there would be mighty giant killers in this house, that they would look beyond their own issue, Lord, and believe God for a mighty revival and a mighty, a mighty victory in the life of someone else. I pray today, God, let it be in Jesus' name. let it be in Jesus name if you if you need a spiritual victory in your life and you're struggling with something in your heart and you don't know what to do if there's something that you need to be defeated but you don't know how to defeat it you prayed for a long time the answer hasn't come I want you just to step out of your pew and if anybody has faith for the people that are coming I want you to go and put your hand on their shoulder I want you to pray in Jesus name I want you to put your hand on their shoulder and pray in Jesus name I want you to rebuke the spirit and the devil I want you to take dominion I pray right now in Jesus name let it be done I pray Oh, God, let the giants fall, Lord. Let the walls come down, Lord, I pray.